that's the only fountain of youth that really exists is, you know, being able to stay fit. It's the only hack. Like, uh, like whenever people talk about these, these performance hacks in this, I'm like staying strong and lifting weights is by far an exercise is the only performance hack there is on the world. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio. Kids are embarrassing on many levels, but they don't necessarily have to suck at being athletic. Coach Dave Spitz of Cal Strength discusses the plan he laid out for his kids long before they were even born. Extreme, you say? Well, you never coached anyone to the Olympics, did you? Here it is, episode 612. Welcome to the premier podcast of Strength Edition, Ing, Ing Power Athlete Radio. Hey, Tex, great to see you. Good to see you. I feel like we haven't done this in years, eons. I've been gone. I know. Welcome back. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> and we are joined by the illustrious Mr. Spitz. Dave, great to see you. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me back. Well, I know. I mean, it's... Uh, Second, third time? I don't remember. Well, what's Nobody cool knows. is uh, we're having you on the podcast, but uh, I feel like I contact Dave, or at least I'm in contact with Dave almost daily. So it's kind of interesting now to be like, uh, after we've seen each other and we talk as much, to actually have you on the podcast is cool, too. Well, we need to catch up a little bit because you took a little trip to Tokyo that I'd love to catch up on and tune in our listeners and share your experience and what you learned and what's gearing up for the next three years in that realm. Okay. So we want to cover the Olympics, the experience. Uh, what else we got? I'll uh, definitely do the Olympics. I'm interested in some combine training. I want to know some uh, of how some of your guys do and maybe throw a couple names out yep. there, young guys that we should be able to watch. And uh, yeah, I yeah. figure between Tokyo and the combine, we'd be, we'd be in the right place. Cool. And then uh, maybe uh, since you and I both are in the throes of uh, child rearing, we can talk yeah. about uh, kids and, and maybe uh, like what your experience is in uh, their sports and their athletic development. Cause uh, I have some, some, some thoughts on uh, what my kids are going through right now and some of the pitfalls I see parents falling into. Um, and then what else? And then we should just talk about getting jacked. I think like, okay. You know, I'm all That's- about it, uh, yeah, that's my favorite. Yeah, that's my favorite subject. Reclaiming my own fitness from from uh, from a fat fuck to uh, to a not so fat fuck. No, you look good. I mean, I, I gotta say, uh, uh, like you know, like the million dollar smile was like, ching, just looking good. <laughs> look at me blushing. God. All know. right, so let's 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 dive in. Uh, text. What do you want to know about the Olympic Games? What well, you were on a mission the last time we did have you what? on Power Athlete Rodeo. Uh, Rodeo. Radio. I'm gearing up for that. Is there a Power Athlete Rodeo? Let's go. Fuck, this podcast. Go. This podcast. I'm in. Yeah, last time we were we were building up and speaking on everyone needs to follow Wes Kitz's journey. And yes. this was the moment. So speak to us there. I mean, it's been a number of years since we last interviewed you formally. Yes. So, man, take a slap. And then what happened on the stage? Hey, Power Athlete Nation. Summer is weeks away. And you got to get that body right. Now, whether it's to pack on a little bit of muscle to fill out those pants and fill out that T-shirt or to lean out and show off those abs by popping off that shirt, we got you covered. Now, the reason we like to start busting our ass now is so that we have a little bit of margin of error so that you can cut loose and not feel guilty. So what I want you to do is go check out one of Power Athletes Nutrition Protocols. We got a leaning. We got a bulking. We got a keto. And we also have a performance protocol for those of you that need a little bit of extra attention or really trying to dial it in so that you look like a million bucks come summer. 
To learn more, head to powerathletehq.com forward slash nutrition to find out which protocol is right for you. And we're going to give you an extra 20% off at checkout with the code EATTHEWEEK. 20%? Yeah, that's all caps. E-A-T-T-H-E-W-E-A-K at checkout. Dude, sounds good to me. Now you got your mission. You know what we're expecting. Go get it. See ya. Okay, so uh, Olympics have always been uh, some sort of a lifelong dream that that I really wanted to access in some way. Uh, when I went to college, I was a track and field athlete. I squandered my athletic career uh, in my fraternity house uh, with uh, booze and, and females and, and other um mind-altering substances and uh so didn't make the games went and got a job and uh started a company and, and worked on wall street and did all kinds of fun shit and then uh transitioned back into sports after i realized like hey you know what there is a decoupling between financial success and being happy and feeling feeling fulfilled so i got into weightlifting uh to kind of see if i could fill that void and weightlifting i mean just freaking naive ambition, like irrational optimism gone wild. And then, uh, when I failed in that pursuit, uh, didn't make the Olympics in, in weightlifting, I kind of reinvented myself as a coach. So, you know, third time's a charm. Um, so built Cal strength, um, you know, with the initial goal of figuring out how to access the Olympic games with, with athletes and, uh, West kits rolled around, um, about uh, six years ago, and uh, I felt like I found my unicorn. So, uh, you know, we had this epic journey, you know, traveling to all these countries, you know, just about every continent uh, outside of Antarctica, and then, uh, you know, ultimately arrived in in um, the um, Olympic Games. And so, you know, 2020 was initially where we thought we were going to compete. So, you know, you build the quad plan, you build these four-year training cycles to arrive at this spot um, and bring your bring your absolute best result to the platform. Uh, you know, with COVID, we had a whole other year tacked on to that quad plan. So we had a, a five-year plan. So, I mean, just like you can imagine, you know, being asked to run a marathon, you sprint the last, you know, mile, you know, thinking that uh, this thing is coming to a close and you're going to leave it all out there. And then, you know, you're told, oh no, you got you got six and a half more miles. Keep going, keep going. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the idea that we had to retool and and um, rethink our, our our strategy and and essentially, you know, train at a very high level for a whole other year uh, was a whole host of uh, host of challenges that that were, was brought about that I wasn't expecting. But um, at the end of the day, you know, we got to go to Tokyo. Um, I had always said that if, you know, the United States was able to finish in the top 10 in the Olympic games, especially in a prestige class, you know, a a weight class that other countries really care about and invest heavily in that, that would be a success. Um, Wes ultimately set an American record in the snatch, uh, on the Olympic stage, which was, was cool. So more, more, more weight than was ever lifted by an American. Uh, and then, uh, and then, uh, was promptly like surpassed by about 15 kilos in the snatch by uh, some of his, you know, competitors. Um, so it just felt a little bit, uh, you know, we were both like, geez, that, that, that just happened. You know, in the, in the day and age, what was supposed to be cleaned up, it's like, oh no, it's as dirty as ever. Um, 
Well, and then, uh, unless you're American. Right. Unless you're American, unless you're poor Wes and Dave that are limping into the Olympics, like, you know, probably guilty of human rights violation, making the, the poor guy train in the condition that he was towards the end. Um, so uh, at the end of the day, though, you know, he finished eighth place, which going in, I was like, OK, that would be that would be a successful outcome for us at this point in in weightlifting. And mm-hmm. so, you know, even though I kind of accomplished our goals uh, in terms of what I initially thought was was possible, um, you know, we left we left the games, you know, feeling a little melancholy, like, geez, we, we did all this for an eighth place finish. And mm-hmm. there was just like the results from the top three dudes, you know, were so stratospheric in comparison that like there's no amount Wes on his absolute best day would not have been able to access uh, the podium. And so that was, that was a little bit of a, of a, of a letdown, but at the end of the day, like, you know, the Olympics, it's, it's just an inexplicable um, experience. I mean, from, from the amount of like love and gratitude that just gets, you get showered with to, you know, the, the, the text messages and all that, all that stuff that you get from, from friends and family. Uh, it's just like, it's really a, a neat, a neat opportunity uh, to kind of reflect on where you are, you know, where you've been and, and, and ultimately where you're going. So uh, if you can access the Olympics as a coach or an athlete, I highly recommend it. Do you have a, an athlete in the pipeline for the next three years? Yeah, we do. Uh, we have the uh, number one ranked weightlifter in all classes right now. Uh, a guy that trained with uh, Wes in the uh, year plus leading up to the Olympics. His name's uh, Nathan Damron, and he is uh, he is a beast. He is something to behold. I mean, this kid is like he is a weightlifting machine. Like if there was if there was if there was like a purpose for a human on Earth, this Nathan fits it perfectly. Like the way he squats, the way he moves. Uh, so, uh, he's actually in a, in a situation where, you know, his result, uh, on his best day could win us a medal. Um, so it'll be exciting to see, uh, what happens. We've got a couple of, uh, couple competitions to go between now and Paris 2024, but we have, we have the roadmap built and, uh, I think he's going to crush it. Mm. What's his sporting background? Is he another football guy? Uh, wrestler, wrestler that, uh, started weightlifting at a young age. So he's, he was, uh, he had a couple coaches, um, uh, a buddy of mine, real good friend, uh, Travis Mash worked with him for a while. And then he kind of, uh, Nathan kind of just for whatever reason, uh, parted ways with weightlifting almost completely and was, you know, working at a Amazon warehouse before, uh, we just called him and said, Hey, you know what we need, we need you here. We need you to train with Wes you know, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an opportunity to kind of like, you know, reinvent yourself. And he just, he grabbed on and, and wouldn't let go. So, you know, he's reinvented himself technically. So he's got a, got a brand new technical model that he's working off of. That's, that's, that's created all these efficiencies and, uh, kids just crushing it. Weights dropping in the background. Perfect. No, I mean, it's, uh, Man, I know we we discussed it when I saw you recently, but I mean, it's got to be kind of hard. I mean, geez, I can't even imagine going into the Olympics if you're West, knowing that like even if you were to PR every single thing, you wouldn't even get within striking distance. 
Like, I mean, it just goes to speak to like the motivation and just the fucking grit of that guy that he still was like, you know what, like showing up here, you know, who knows, something might happen. Somebody might get hurt. Somebody might, you know, default and I might have an opportunity to put myself in the right place. Yeah. And, and who knows, you know, you finish eighth, like the way the testing's going now, as long as they hold these samples, you know, guys are getting popped, you know, a decade after the fact. So there's a chance that you might get a medal in the mail one day. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, no, uh, uh, Adam Nelson tells us a story about uh, same deal, him losing the gold and then them giving it to him in uh, what was it, Burger King in in, in the Atlanta airport. Uh, Man, I think it was a Chick-fil-A. I think it was Burger King. Nelson stories like the one metal slid across the table yeah. and <laughs> oh yeah no silver like, like he met a dude at a Burger King at like the Atlanta airport and they like swapped medals and uh he's yeah. like this is how it goes you know Fuck. yeah that's Adam was really like Adam was you know we talk about mindset like I I had Adam uh talk to Wes on a number of occasions and like we we worked with uh with with Adam on the mental side a bunch because I mean there's nobody tougher when it comes to Sure. Compete. So yeah, he was, he was, he was very helpful actually. You so. talked about athlete model for a moment. He's, he's got the right model. So explain that to our listeners just a little bit. I know you have the opportunity to work with football players preparing for the combine Olympic weightlifters and other athletes. So what is that mindset and approach? Well, this is the model that we need to build for this individual. Well, what I was referring to with Nathan was just a, a, a technical model. So like uh, a roadmap for movement through the snatch, the clean, the jerk, you know, having uh, this, these set of parameters, these guidelines, this model for him to, to default back to. So as you train, you know, you get, you get pushed outside that model, whether it's because you're just too sore to create the positions, or in some cases you feel so good and so loose, like you're no longer to, able to feel like the tension uh, in the sim, in the same places that you poorly do. Your start position might might adjust a little bit. So you know, weightlifting is always like a, you know, it's a game of of continuing to change your body, change your your ability, your proficiency, your efficiency. And then figure out, okay, well, what did that do to my technique? Did that, did that move me outside my model? So having some sort of like very consistent dialogue, some very consistent uh, framework for, for how we move uh, keeps the lifters accountable. And so, you know, if we're in an accumulation phase or a realization phase, you know, those, the body's going to feel significantly different. There may be differences in body weight at that time. So just being able to default back to, this is how we move. Are we, are we, are we squarely in the model or is there something that you need to tweak? Is there some drills that we need to do to push you back in? And so it just keeps the guys accountable. Mm. And how important is it for an athlete to hold themselves accountable? I know with the the coaching Olympic weightlifting, you very hands-on approach. So what is it that you help connect the athlete to their bodies? What are some tools there? Dude, that's a great question. I mean, it's, it is the, the, the better you get at coaching, I think the less you actually have to be like micromanaging all of their movement. Because once you build this model and you guys agree on it, 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 it does reside within the athlete to, to be accountable for this movement. And so, you know, we can just like, we can exchange a glance like, okay, you know, that was, we, we, we definitely didn't create this position properly and he'll know it and I'll know it, you know, or, or tension was not assigned properly. Um, and so the athletes are incredibly accountable for their movement and they should be able to feel it at a very high level. 
And you feel that that can be translated to a team sport like football? Oh, I think so. Yeah. I mean, John will tell you like, you know, your stance, uh, what you feel like getting out of your stance. Like there's going to be times where you're just, you're either too hurt to play or you're, you're, you're too sore or whatnot. Like you're going to, you're going to be pushed out of whatever your fundamental or technical model is. Um, so, you know, being accountable for how do I, how do I make the adjustment to either uh, get my body back right so I can achieve this technical model or what kind of adaptations can I create around it? Um, yeah. So I think that, I think that quality movement is just, it's the most important aspect of, of a consistent high performer in any sport. Yeah. We, we used it with film. So uh, everything we did was filmed. So, I mean, all of a sudden you get into these patterns where everything feels normal and then you watch it on film and you're like, dude, that's not at all what I thought I was doing. So then you have to go back and be like, all right, well, you know what? I'm just going to try to this practice work on maintaining I bend my knees or, you know, pad level or position. And you try to change one thing at a time and you go back and you watch film and, you know, did I accomplish my task? And that happens all too often, especially early in the season. You know, if you're in training camp, you know, things that, you know, you think you're doing just aren't necessarily what you need to be doing. And, uh, you know, one of them is bending knees, pad level, you know, position with your hands, you know, all these different, you know, foot position. So what I used to do is watch film kind of religiously looking for those movements. And I knew what I needed to do just based on like visually I needed to know, I like, I knew what it needed to look like for me to be successful. Now it's just a matter of what are the things that I had to do to make it look like I wanted and that's kind of an interesting that I, th- I think that's what he's talking about. Like, you know, what needs to happen and everybody knows, you know, we talk about that coach's eye. I know what efficient movement looks like. Now I have to tweak my body to make that happen. And like you said, it might be, you know, more mobility. It might be more flexibility. It might be rest or it might be just yeah. fucking lazy. Well, which I, just happens the, a lot. Dave, I'm working with high schoolers and got the go hards, but then there was two injuries that happened at a game because I mean, we lean too hard on guys and then they wouldn't, you know, you ask a guy, are you okay? Can you make this run? And then they of course say yes. And then that's the one that leads to an injury, you know, in the fourth quarter. So two instances essentially, um, you know, put it on the athlete, but they didn't know themselves enough to be honest with us to then get us out there. I mean, they wanted to win, but eventually it caught up to them. So now it's, I got an off season to work with them to help them understand that as they go into their senior year. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a huge part of working with high performers, right? Is there a, they're going to be great compensators so they can, they can kind of create the shapes or whatever the movement that you're, that you're asking to asking them to, but maybe they're using a lot of the wrong muscles and, and uh, ultimately those imbalances get created. And, you know, before long you have this multifactorial problem that you have to unwind. And so like, I think that that's the job, that's the job that I feel like as a coach, I have to be aware so that the athletes have their technical model. They're trying to accomplish this thing and they're being accountable to accomplish this thing. But for me, if I see them accomplishing these movements without um, prioritizing like the recruitment, without making sure that they're doing it the right way, that's that that's where I feel like I've got to step in and, and make some changes. Um because athletes, like I said, they're they're amazing compensators, the best ones. So they can create they can create the movements you're looking for, but are they doing it the right way? 
And, uh, you know, if they're not doing it the right way consistently, then it leads you down a path to injury. Yeah, that was uh, Craig Bueller's deal. Um, you know, world's best athletes are those that can compensate around injury and dysfunction better than others. Yeah, And, um, you know, he's true. like, you know, everybody gets hurt. Certain people get hurt and can't do it. Other people get hurt and they just body finds a way, you know, like athleticism isn't just uh, you know, and, and I always thought it was Craig's great way to def- describe it. Like you guys look at athleticism in terms of movement. I look at ap- athleticism in terms of compensation that the best athletes learn how to compensate around injuries. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then they get to the point where they're so broken that all of a sudden it's like one thing happens and it's a straw that breaks, breaks the camel's back. I'm sure Dave's seen that where, uh, yep. you know, all of a sudden you're like, Hey, this guy's moving and like one little tweak and all of a sudden the dude can't walk and you're like, Oh shit, he was really broken. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I mean, it's crazy. Like Wes was like, you know, towards the end, it was like uh, medial hamstring was shut off, and so the sartorius and the and, and rectus uh, femoris was like taking all this load, and then uh, all of a sudden VMO would just shut off, and he just literally couldn't get into a squat. VMO would be so fucking painful, you know, and he would have all this nerve entrapment that 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 would uh, that would occur at the fiber level. So you know, all these nerves were were just being grabbed by the fascia, and he was just like in debilitating pain, but it took us so long to figure out how to work upstream to, to, you know, address the VMO with rectum and then ultimately Sartorius. And like he, I mean, the poor guy had so many freaking PRP injections and, and different, uh, different, uh, uh, treatments to, to, to get that stuff resolved. It was, it was hard to watch, but at any rate, let's talk about something nicer. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I mean, in terms of the training, I mean, I always go back to Louis Simmons, like, you know, to master Kung Fu, the training has to be severe. So, I mean, like there's a, 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 de- a definitely a severity to Olympic weightlifting and in the training to get yeah. these guys into that position. Um, is that like the, still the standard model? I mean, is it like, I mean, does everybody go into the road grader? I mean, just watching some of the other guys in the Olympics, uh, they just looked extremely fresh. Whereas I watched Wes almost looked like he was waddling. Yeah. Like just so broken. Like right. he, like I like he, just watching him walk. I was like, Oh shit, dude, his feet look like they're killing him. Yeah. And these other yeah. guys look so like spry yeah. and ready. So. Yeah. I mean the, uh, you know, the, the, the truth of the matter is, you know, he was a, he was a strong candidate for the uh, Olympics in Rio. So it was one of those, um, it was one of those things where he almost ran a full six year quad. Cause we sprinted really hard into the, um, into the Olympics prior. Uh, so he had that year, then he had the four year quad, then an extra year of COVID. So he was like, he was, a, he was, he, he, we ran hard for six years. Um, you know, and, and we do, I think a reasonable job, you know, having two anchor dates in a calendar year. So he has this block periodization model that he runs because you're not working on, you know, all the, all the, um, all the attributes that you need at one time, you know, at some points you're working on your maximal strength at some points you're working on, you know, specific strength. And then you're working on, you know, tying it all together and working at high intensities at the lifts themselves. But at the end of the day, everybody has to go through the meat grinder for a duration of time um, in any given training cycle, because that's how you have to create those neuromuscular efficiencies, right? So you're not going to, you're not going to get good at lifting big weights by lifting light weights. You, you have to, 
you have to actually create those pathways, those, those efficiencies that are going to allow you uh, to overcome the fear uh, of holding those positions. Cause that's the biggest thing that all lifters ultimately face is the, you know, it, your, your, your courage gives up before anything else, right? Your body just won't let you go under these big weights until, you know, it has, your brain has the confidence to, to, to ensure that you're not going to get hurt or killed. <laughs> so, you know, pulling yourself under 400 pounds in a snatch, it's like, that's, that's no joke. That is overriding a lot of self-preservation instincts. Um, and so you have to spend time lifting heavy weights in order to do that. And if you lift those types of weights with, uh, any sort of, you know, um, dysfunction in your body, you're going to create some injuries. Yeah. Like old man Zang has told me if, the if people got strong lifting lightweights, why the fuck would we lift these heavy ones? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, cause I, like, I, I remember there was like a bodybuilding magazine I saw you and uh, I was a kid and I like the dude talked about, he didn't lift anything over 60%. And I was like, hey, this guy's pretty big. He doesn't lift over 60%. And that was Zangus's comment. If the lightweight's made us strong, why would we lift these heavy ones? Right. You know, I mean, and, and at the, you know, Olympic weightlifting, I mean, it's, it's, it's a total, it's like powerlifting. I mean, you got to lift, you know, the maximal weight you can. And, uh, you know, a lot of submaximal efforts doesn't get the, doesn't get you there. I'm sure you've seen coaches, you know, write a bunch of programming that's got a bunch of submaximal efforts. And you're like, well, what are you going to do on the meet day? Yeah. Uh, I mean, and ultimately the, the guys that don't lift heavy very frequently, those are the ones that have like the catastrophic failures, right? Because your body's just not prepared for it. So, you know, the guys that, that, that hit their, you know, 90% or, or 100%, you know, once or twice a year, those are the ones that really sustain like the big injuries. So you have to condition your body. You have to condition, you know, your joints, your tendons, all the connective tissue to be able to lift these big weights. So if you're not practicing that stuff, you know, you're, you're going to, you're going to risk injury probably more than, than if you would just attack it from time to time. Take, taking the trip out there, did you meet any interesting coaches that you took some notes from? Any bottles of kidney stones shaking about out there? Or you zoned in on, on your athletes? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, when we were in Tokyo, you know, the COVID protocols were so absurd. It was like, you know, there, there, was, there was very little interaction. And we were only in country for, I think, a total of six days. So we did spend the first um, like three weeks in Honolulu. So that's where we prepped. Uh, so we were in Waikiki Beach, you know, cruising, sitting at a hotel, uh, you know, training twice a day uh, in this cool conference uh, convention center that uh, that uh, USA Weightlifting had pimped out into a, into a weightlifting hall, which was it was awesome. It was it was an incredible experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got to take Nathan, our, our current kid with us. So, uh, that was fun. So, but no, 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 uh, no Bulgarian type, uh, coaches that, uh, <laughs> that I got to interact with where I was like, Holy smokes, this is, you're like, we're going to stress out a goat and then kill it and drink its blood because somehow that's going to, you know, those extra stress hormones are going to make it work. Dude, when I say a prestige class, you know, like this, that's what the, the people that are responsible for producing the results in these smaller countries in those, in those categories, like they literally will do anything, anything to win. So it's a, uh, they're playing a different game, but why is, I, I mean, so, so like the, the most dominant in the world, especially in the heavyweights is like uh, Kazakhstan and Iran and these countries, Georgia, Georgia, uh, yeah, I mean, the, there, I mean, there was Lashley a kid. Probably, 
got you know five percent of the Georgian GDP uh, going to protect him. I don't know. It's like the- <laughs> well, well, dude, I I just saw a kid sent like sent like a uh, what was it a junior record with yeah. like a some crazy like yeah. Yeah, uh, like it was like a 572 one. clean and jerk. And the kid's like yeah. 18 years old, weighs like 370 yeah. pounds. I mean, yeah, something astronomical where you're like, what? Just when you think the sport's getting clean, like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> we, we are we are here to see what we can do. So, but I mean, the sport, the sport itself, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's in jeopardy. We only have, the IOC is, is, is taking us down to three spots on the men's side and three spots on the women's side. Um, that's the maximum that any country can send at this point. So like it's slowly just bleeding us down to, you know, supplanting weightlifting with, uh, some sort of gaming at the Olympics, you know, is so, it cause it's, uh, because they know it's dirty and they can't clean it up. I think it's, that's definitely part of it, but also just the way if you have a dirty sport, then you have corruption, right? You can't have one without the other because mm. somebody's got to protect these athletes. Somebody's got to kind of turn a blind eye and, and, and make sure that they can continue doing what they're doing. So there's a lot of money that changes hands. Mm. Uh, no nice way to say it, you know, but at the end of the day, like if you have, if you have a sport that, that relies heavily on cheating in order to win a medal, like you're going to have corruption. And so that's what the IOC is really concerned with. Is they're not, and they're probably not getting paid enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so they're, they're not getting just, those big yeah, wires. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I would. That's not true. <laughs> they're like uh, now. I'm flying way too close to the sun. My wings are going to get clipped for sure. <laughs> uh, nobody listens to this. Yeah, our, our parents don't. Do <laughs> yeah, yeah, our, yeah. There's like two parents, and yeah. I mean, uh, well, then let's change gears to combine. So we're sports that people actually care about. So yeah, you've had a big class. Uh, we had the awesome opportunity for those that don't know that in 2019, John and I yep. went out February and during your draft class and John had a unique experience teaching some offensive linemen, some specific skills, and then how to act during the interview and answer the questions. So they'll put them in the best position to, you know, appear the right way. Yeah. The world's best fashion show, hoping to be uh, the, the most fashionable people out there. Yeah. And teaching those guys how to punch. Yeah. I was the punching bag for that example. So, um, hey, you had two of those guys out of that class that John worked with, uh, Patrick McCarry and Ryan Bates, um, both ultimately, you know, were free agents, um, that signed nice second contracts. So, yeah. you know, no, and, and, uh, they I told send you a check, John. Uh, <laughs> dude, uh, I'll take it. But, uh, no, I mean, I, I told you from day one, I don't know if those kids are going to get drafted, but every one of them could play. I mean, that, yep. that's kind of a weird realization to be like, hey, man, like, I don't know if you're going to get drafted, but uh, I think you can play this game. And like, yep. I, I played with a bunch of guys who didn't get drafted that could play. So, I mean, it's not always in, you know, wh- as much as people love to believe, I mean, the NFL and the scouts make huge mistakes. Look at Tom Brady, you know? Yeah, of course. Uh, and the ultimately, you know, that's our, that's our goal is to make sure that they are in a position to go and, and play the game. Uh, at a very high level, at the highest level that they can possibly play. So the underwear Olympics is just, you know, that's that's a part of what we're doing in the eight to 10 weeks where we've got them pre-draft. But really, you know, my mindset is we've got to build these guys into the most durable, functional athletes that we can build them into in a short amount of time and then equip them with the tools so they can go to the league and be able to self-assess and, and either, you know, diagnose and then correct uh, uh, injuries or, or things that, that, that are going to befall them in the league. So give them all those tools. 
And that feels like a different approach from what I've spoke to different people about and John's experience where they're focused just on the, the show versus preparing them as an athlete to actually play the game. Yeah. The two are not mutually exclusive to me. Like we, you know, you, you have nothing else to focus on in these eight to 10 weeks. Like there's no school, there's no playbook, you know? So it's one of those things where you can really lean hard into the fundamentals of, of, of your position. Uh, and then you can, you can, you know, work on your, your base levels of athleticism, and then you can train, you know, uh, to run the 40 fast and, and bench press 225 a bunch of times and, and broad jump and, and do all the lateral stuff. So I feel like the program has evolved uh, over the years where, you know, we're very efficient with our time and, and we get a lot done inside of the, the eight to 10 weeks that we have these guys. So, um, I mean, the proof's in the pudding too. It's one of those, you know, we had, we had several guys that improved like baseline forties, uh, uh, four and even five tenths of a second this year from their initial Zybeck, uh, testing to their combine performance. So, I mean, I think that's, that, that's as, that's as awesome as, as I can get those guys, you know, in that amount of time. Is, uh, I mean, is the majority of what you're trying to work on technique, just cleaning up a lot of the technique, kind of the low hanging fruit, making it more efficient, or is there actually something that's going in? Cause I know you have a balance of like, neuromuscular stuff, flexibility, strength. I mean, you kind of, you know, look at it, but I wonder if you, Hey, if you got eight to 10 weeks, where do you start? I mean, is it like, Hey, let's try to improve flexibility. Let's do this. Is it efficiency? I mean, you know, what's the hierarchy in terms of, uh, you know, I mean, taking elite level athletes, you got eight to 10 weeks to try to get them to run faster. Yeah. And, and in the, they're coming off of their college season too. So they're, they're relatively detrained, right? This is not like this is not like you're getting uh, completely ready to go athletes. Like a lot of them have, you know, bumps and bruises that, that occur to just or is it just weren't addressed properly. So we start with a, an assessment. So we have this 72 point assessment that we go through to kind of determine, you know, from a uh, postural standpoint, um, strength testing standpoint, and then um, kind of looking at what's hypertonic and what's hypotonic to the entire body. So kind of building a roadmap for how to work with this specific athlete. So all of the accessory work that we do is customized to the athlete and, and trying to adjust for their asymmetries, imbalances, unique deficiencies. So that's where we start. Um, so everybody kind of gets a customized accessory kit and, uh, a customized roadmap for PNF stretching that we'll go through. So some areas, you know, in their body, some muscle groups need to be lengthened. Some muscle groups need to be strengthened. And so we kind of build that roadmap early and then uh, use that to back into pro writing the program. How do you build out the training groups for the guys? Cause that was a cool thing that we witnessed was your ability to bring these guys together quickly as a team yeah. and class themselves. So how do you group them together? And then I guess share some of the cool stuff that you take these guys on to accelerate the team bonding that you got going on. Yeah. So we do, we definitely, um, you know, like, like the camaraderie of, of, uh, of the class to, to, to be tight. We, the NFL is a pretty lonely place. So if you can get, have a buddy or two report to camp with and just be familiar, like, I think, I think there's, you know, or even going to the combine with, with some guys that you feel bonded with, like that's, there, there's value there. Um, so, you know, we do, we do everything from, you know, take them on, 
on boat rides in the bay to uh you know bocce night to uh you know get them get, get haircuts get haircuts yeah take them to the barber together and you know get them get them, get them shaved and cleaned up together so you know the the way it works in los gatos um you know we have a hotel that sits right between our two facilities so the Hotel Los Gatos is what we use this year, uh, and it's walking distance. It's about 500 feet from Cal Strength, and then on the other direction, it's about 500 feet from uh, the club at Los Gatos. And so, you know, the guys would literally pop out of bed, walk to the club, get their breakfast in the cafe. You know, um, we had we had a couple menu items that we liked to to be consistent with for their breakfast, um, and then they would cruise down to Cal Strength. We would get there movement prep together, then hit the field for either a linear or lateral day, then go back to Cal strength for lunch and then hit the lift. And then they would all, you know, inevitably end up back at the club doing a, a hot yoga session or, uh, or just sitting in the hot tub or doing some laps in the pool or chilling in the sauna. So it's just a good opportunity to kind of use all of these, uh, modalities to, to, to keep things interesting. Do you keep guys together by, by position, region of the country? Like how do you usually, form those so, lifting groups? Yeah, usually it's uh it's offensive uh line and D line work together and then big skill works together. So the linebackers and ends uh, and then off chance that we actually get a skill position, uh we'll probably <laughs> integrate the big skill most of the time. Um but we've kind of been known for the the tight ends and the linebackers, and we have some really good ones playing in the league right now. Uh we had uh two of the top three uh tight ends in this draft. Um and, uh, and one of those guys came, you know, from a day three pick all the way up to a, a third round selection, uh, based upon his performance at the East West shrine game. And then he just crushed it at the combine. I think he scored a perfect 10 on his relative athletic score. So, um, his name's Jelani Woods from, from Virginia. What team do you go to? Uh, Jelani went to, uh, the Indianapolis Colts. And then we had uh, another young man from UCLA who went to uh, the Denver Broncos uh, again in the third round. So, so add to our collection of tight ends in the league between, you know, Zach Ertz and Austin Hooper and Dalton Schultz and Colby Parkinson and Caden Smith. And there's, there's, there's a, there's a bunch of them now that are uh, in starting rotations. Nice. So you feel like you're getting known just for the more of the tight ends and the linebackers, huh? Even though you had some pretty good offensive linemen when I was out there. Yeah, I mean, and that's you know, I I love I love working with the offensive linemen too, and it's uh, it's one of those things like I feel like we add a lot of value to those guys. Um, so you know, ho- hopefully we'll continue adding to it. But uh, for whatever reason, like the linebackers and the and the tight ends, you know, they just I think they like being at Cal Strength. Well, shit, man. Now that you got the uh, the Beverly Hills Country Club, I mean, you know, we were there when it was kind of, you know, mean and gritty and dirty. There was no windows, you know, cow strength and uh, high school fields. Oh, yeah. High school fields. Now, dude, I mean, it's Gatos, like, like you should see this club, dude. It's like uh, just a, sounds a, expensive. Uh, it's like an Equinox. Just nicer. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's- nice. It's, it's pretty cool. And then on the weekends, we, uh, we bring the DJ up. So we have resident DJ cruises uh, over. And so we've got this whole pool party set up on the weekends. We serve beer and wine and hard kombucha at the cafe. It's, it's, it's definitely, nice. uh, it's, it's definitely something that I was never uh, expecting that we would ever be a part of, but, uh, 
No, I, it, I sent my wife pictures, and uh, that's the type of vacation she wants to go on, like someplace like that. That's train good. and yeah. have a pool party? <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's right up my wife's alley. Like I sent yeah. her like all these pictures of all these little cafes, places to eat, and a really nice gym with a pool. She's like, dude, that's like our type of vacation. <laughs> and then it's 20 minutes from Santa Cruz. So you can be on the beach. You know, toes in the Santa Cruz like in 20 minutes. Uh, or you could be in the city in, in, in about uh, 45 minutes. So it's uh, it's really centrally located, and it's – it's pretty exciting. And I've moved, you know, uh, our, our, our best weightlifters have moved down to Los Gatos. Um, and we're running all the NFL off season and all, and all the NFL scouting combine prep down there. But, uh, you know, Cal Strength Santa Ramon's still, still crushing it. Lots of youth athletes and, uh, and, a, and, a, and a bunch of strong national contenders uh, on the weightlifting side. So we're having so a good time. Now. Is it, is it kind of the, uh, I guess you could say like, you know, they start in one place and when they kind of arise to a certain level, then they get to go down and go down yeah. to the country club. Yes, exactly. Once, once, once you, once you've proven your worth, then you mm. get to get <laughs> down to Los Gatos. <laughs> I like it. I like yeah, it. Work hard. No, we're like going to, we're going to, we're going to upgrade Santa Mon eventually too. It's just a, uh, it's just a matter of time and how hard just I want to get a bigger American flag. Is that uh, possible? The, the problem is you guys are so tucked in the back in that space. I mean, you'd have to go into that front space. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll solve that problem after I get Los Gatos all the way up and running. Uh, sure. So, but nice. it's, uh, it's fun, man. I mean, uh, just, uh, new challenges on the, on the business front and, uh, new opportunities. It's like, uh, you know, I've, I've always, you know, everybody that knows my story knows that when I left USC, I went on the business side and kind of created a bunch of like, fortunately somehow i don't even know how financial success uh out in the business world and then you know went back to weightlifting and in this pretty like athlete life this austere athlete life um to try and find fulfillment and now that i've been to the olympics i'm like you know what we need more money so <laughs> now i'm leaning back into the business side so it's funny that that it's kind of like <laughs> kind of ebbs and flows well it feels like if you want to make a run at the olympics you're going to need a lot of funding yeah yeah that's true um so yeah i feel like the days of shoestringing it or uh, bootstrapping it to the olympics yeah uh, you got to have corporate sponsorship not have any success i mean so all of our lifters you know they're they they get paid a stipend they get uh they all have you know affiliate program so that you know whatever they sell from from our online team they get a piece of um, so yeah, we just try and take care of them on, on every front like that, but they, uh, still, they still need all the orthopedic and, you know, physiotherapy and all the recovery and regen stuff. So it's no, mm-hmm. it's not, not inexpensive, all the supplementation stuff <clears throat> that, that is not, uh, performance enhancing, uh, well, that's not illegal performance enhancing. Sure. Well, I mean, it feels like, uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, uh, like, it's kind of like, um, I guess you could say like, a almost like a gun control. Like I'm fine if they want to regulate guns, as long as everybody's guns are regulated, you right. know, it's like, uh, you know, regulate, like take guns away from the police, the military. I, I don't like where they all of a sudden be like, no, 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 you have to be regulated, but all these other people don't have to be regulated. It's the right. same thing with like, you know, the issue with the Olympics, you have one, you know, country that's, you know, hunting, trying to catch people. And you have other people that are like, this is just what we do and we help our athletes. So it's, um, yeah, it needs to be a level playing field. Yep. 
I mean, I just try and square it with myself. Like you know, I, for every athlete that I work with, like my goal as a coach, my job as a coach is to, is to get them to achieve as close to their genetic potential as possible. That's it. Right. So like whatever, whatever that is for you, like we have to play with, within, within these parameters. And so it's a, it's a Rubik's cube that I'm just continuing to try and solve. Um, and, you know, just, it, it forces you to get more creative, like, you know, from, from the, from the cold water immersion and, and sauna to, you know, the, the dosages of EPA and DHA to the, you know, the vitamin D to like all of the other things, you know, the creatine, the beta alanine, everything that we, we try and do to kind of just round out all of those, uh, all those, all those areas of, of potential improvement. Cool. Makes it fun. Well, let's lead that into the the next question here in in child development. Mm -hmm. So you get a lot of individuals, they, I mean, 18 plus years old. Yeah. They've been through a lot of different training programs and then your aim is to fix them to still reach their potential. But now imagine a parent is listening and they can start proper day one. And then you, you both have reared children. You're very more athletic than I, if we're using the Darwin definition. Ah, Yeah, no, that was, um, uh, God, what's the name of the guy that, that, uh, was led the charge on barefoot running at, uh, at Harvard. Uh, uh he was, yeah. um, uh-huh. Lieberman, I think his name, uh, he is the one that when he spoke at ancestral health symposium, talked about, um, evolutionary fitness is your ability to reproduce. And his joke was like Mitt Romney was fitter than anybody else. Cause he had the most kids. Yeah. Which I thought was funny because Mitt Romney's a fucking whack job. So, uh, so I mean, uh, there's no great political. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. We're not allowed to be political in this podcast. (laughs) People get upset and then they leave us negative reviews. Like, Oh, they talked about politics. I need to get the strength conditioning, but they don't have to listen to politics. Well, easy, John, let's stick to fitness. So Dave, a parent has an opportunity listening to this podcast to put them in the best position to succeed long-term, whether they like it or not. Where do they begin? Yes. All right. So, uh, full disclosure, uh, my experiment is, is underway. So I have, uh, six, eight and 10 year old. So I, I, you know, I have not, uh, I have not actually proven this. Like, you know, if you want, if you want that, you got to go watch uh, King Richard with, uh, Will Smith and see how he raised Serena and Venus. But I can give you some like anecdotal things that I'm doing as a parent and some of the things that I see. Um, so I, being the, being, being the geek that I am, you know, I built an athletic life plan before the kids were even born. You know, my wife was pregnant with our first, I, I pounded out an Excel sheet looking at like what sensitivity periods for development, um, existed across what age ranges. So, you know, at what point in their development, can we work on things like, you know, neuromuscular adaptation? When, when can we work on maximal strength? When can we work on, you know, muscle endurance? When can we work on, you know, uh, ocular coordination? And so kind of just defining what, what parameters exist and, and, and what types of sensitivity periods we can really utilize to, to drive some athletic performance. Because for me, my kids, I don't give a shit if they ever play a sport at a high level. Right. I like, I, I, I really just don't care, but they're going to be athletes. So building athletes, you know, it's just gonna, it's just gonna help them in every facet of their life, whether it's fitness or, you know, recreational, you know, sports, you know, if they want to go snow skiing, if they want to go mountain biking, they're going to be, they're going to have the tools to do it. Um, and so building this athletic life plan 
um, I can tell you from like the earliest stages, like six months old, they were in the pool. And so by, we, we led them to at age four, they could compete at on swim team because I believe strongly that kids need an objective truth uh, and they need sports that are bilaterally symmetrical and they need to learn to go at full speed. So they need to, they need to learn to apply maximum effort to something. And so swimming is a really good starting point for that. And we talk about like win or learn, doesn't matter whether you popped your time or not. You know, if we, if we, if we didn't PR, like, what did you learn from that thing? What, 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 what are the discussions that we can take away? Did you sleep well? Did you eat well? Did you practice hard that week? Were you nervous before the race? So there's this whole host of conversations that you can have based upon the things that actually drive performance. So you can always marry it back to process. Um, uh, so swimming was the first sport. Uh, but the, 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 base, the, the basic rule of thumb is figure out how you can provide an objective truth so that they can, they can learn process and they can face adversity um, and learn some disappointment, then um, figure out how to, like I said, make things bilaterally symmetrical that are gonna promote athleticism. So our second sport that we really prioritized was gymnastics. So from 18 months on, they were in at least once a week of a, a gymnastics class. And so just putting them on a track to go through level one, two, three, you know, there's obviously diminishing returns uh, once you, once you get to like an early specialization type, type uh, uh, role in gymnastics, but just using gymnastics to, to create the base level of force production, force absorption, flexibility, mobility, um, and then working uh, from there into creating more, like I said, ocular coordination. Uh, so I think soccer is probably the best thing to do for that. Like being able to coordinate your feet, hands, eyes, all that good stuff, uh, to kind of work, uh, together to accomplish a goal. Uh, and soccer is for the most part, bilaterally symmetrical, same thing with basketball. Um, and then, uh, at, at, uh, eight years old, we introduced weightlifting. So like the kids will lift once or twice a week here in the gym. Um, focusing on things that just basically challenge positions. So, you know, squatting and hinging movements, we start them with the Olympic variations, of course, like learning, learning to follow directions and understanding how to recruit different areas uh, of their body and relax others and be able to move through complex movement um, with direction. Um, and then ultimately, you know, when they get to, to like that, 10, 11, then they can start to play more asymmetrical sports. So they can start to work through like baseball, um, uh, lacrosse, you know, golf, my son just picked up. So kind of just adding the complexity of the asymmetrical sports uh, on after that. So that's kind of my basic roadmap, but the most important aspect is to create a, a diverse and systematic uh, amount of stress as they as they grow uh, I see so many kids in my little wealthiest wealthy suburban community uh, just mountains of sports specific preparation mountains of early specialization year-round baseball starting at eight years old or year-round soccer at eight years old and it's uh it's it's really discouraging because you know these kids are taught like 
oh, all I have to do is work hard and listen to my coaches and do all the do 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 everything that I'm I've I'm I've been instructed to do, and it will create success. And initially, it does, right? You can fake it at a high level for younger kids up until they reach some de minimis amount of maturity. And then the better athletes start to overtake them because they can just out-athlete them. Uh, it, so, it, so it doesn't really matter um, how technical, tactical, fundamental you are if you're a shitty athlete because you, get, you ultimately get surpassed. And so what does that ultimately teach kids? You know, uh, I mean, the chickens are going to come home to roost and you've just imbued them with this lesson. Like as long as you work hard and do all these things, you're going to be successful. And they get to sophomore, junior in high school and they no longer are. And so what does that do to their psychology? Um, and so that's what I face a lot here at Cal Strength is like, okay, so you, you, you had this plan and now the plan is, is somehow not working out the way you thought. Um, so what do we have to do? We have to go back and build your base of athleticism so you have the opportunity to compete at these higher levels of, of, of your sport. Um, so there's one message I would say, like just watch out for the entrapments of early specialization. It's very appealing to have the, to it's, 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 it's very, it's alluring to have the best 11 year old in the pool. It's a, you know, or the best 11 year old on your, on your soccer team and be able to travel around, but, but watch out for what happens five years down the road. Yeah, no, we got stuck in this. Uh, we, we had a similar deal. I mean, it was gymnastics, swimming, the whole deal. Um, my, because we live next door to a horse riding facility. My one daughter has romanced herself into riding horses every day, uh, which pains me because there's really no future in it. Like the top for these girls is pony nationals when they hit like high school. And then the majority of them stop riding. Like very few people like Bruce Springsteen's daughter finally got into the Olympics after like 20 years of trying in her own private barn. So like, there's not necessarily something attainable. And I'm always like, I like the riding, but we got to work on some other sports. And uh, my one daughter swims, plays basketball. I mean, followed the same model. They they still do gymnastics two days a week. Uh, I told them to keep bringing them to gymnastics until they tell them they can't come anymore. Yep. But yet, like the one, my one daughter, they wanted her to actually go on their more competitive team, but it interview or it uh, um, interferes with her riding stuff. And I'm like, God, I fucking hate these horses. Uh, <laughs> uh, and not to say that like it it's not athletic, but it's more like a balance piece. Whereas like, it's not, I mean, I, I guess like you could, you know, judge it either way, but like for her at uh, as good an athlete as Killy is at 10, like to see her just riding horses. I'm like, there's other sports out there. You need to go find other things. So I'm yeah. in that constant fight with my wife. Who's all obsessed with horses as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm my, I've always thought, you know, a better athlete will make a better you plug and play, whether sure. it's baseball, horseback, right? Like, so, so prioritize your athleticism and, and understand, like, if you could just do a little homework on, like, where these sensitivities lie. Obviously, you can't take a, uh, an 11-year-old into a weight room and force maximal strength development because there's no endocrine response that's going to happen, right? There's no testosterone uh, that's going to help drive any real protein synthesis. So you're just going to initially get them a little stronger through neuromuscular efficiencies, and then they're going to plateau and get stressed. So, like, understand, like uh sensitivity periods for athletic development what qualities you can bring about at what age ranges which kind of like coincide with the pubertal cycle and uh and stay away from early specialization and that's my uh 
that's my that's my well, overriding message. But I do how think do you fight that? I mean, it's it, it, it like the early specialization thing, especially here in Texas, blows my mind. Yeah. Like these like traveling teams, like uh, like my daughter's a pretty good basketball player. So like all of a sudden they were like trying to book her on all these teams and traveling this and this. I'm like, dude, she's got swimming. Like she's got gymnastics. Like yeah. she's not going to play basketball five days a week. Uh, yeah. And then what was even we were interested in maybe doing some volleyball stuff, and the volleyball was even worse. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like the, uh, you know, Hey, you're going to play here and then this club and this team. And then you get with this group of girls. And I mean, we saw it with basketball, like she played on one basketball team and then, you know, we signed up for another one and then, Hey, there's this traveling team and this coach in here. And it just like, it looks like, well, dude, she's 10 years old. I want her to do other things. She likes to swim. She needs to do gymnastics. Um, you know, we got to at least get in the weight room one to two days a week. I mean, there's all these other things that we need to do. And it's like, and the only the only thing I can think of is just a money model for these coaches. Oh, well, and and this is a battle I've been fighting for years. They just sport coaches. They just want more skill work, the skill work. But the point you made here, Dave, like until that point where they get out athleted. Yeah. So I've always argued for athleticism, but th- this helps bolster the argument that I present to many sport coaches. I love it. But to to build on that, man, it, in Texas, and I imagine in California, but, it's the same, dude. I think it's worse in Texas. I, I've, I've like, I mean, California was like uh, with baseball. I mean, the, the baseball thing is insane. Like my brother's going through it. My nephews are like six. And like, yeah. I mean, they pretty much are playing baseball, like three different teams in this. And he's like, well, they like to play baseball, so I'm okay with it. But it feels like, um, you know, at least we were growing up, it would, there was periodization through sport. Like you played baseball, you played basketball. Um, in the summer, we went to junior lifeguards and, and, you know, it was beach stuff and then football started. So, I mean, we didn't specialize until you got to high school, which was, you know, 14, 15 years old. I mean, up until yeah. that point, we played every sport. Yeah. And it, it doesn't matter if the kids quote unquote like it, you know, like at some point you're going to run out of adaptation energy for that sport. You know, like you just, you just do. Everybody has a, a finite life in, in, in sports. And the earlier you start playing year round, like your clock is ticking. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's going to take a mental toll on them. You know, you just get, the monotony of, 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 of a sport just is going to ultimately, you know, affect their long-term love affair with the sport. So, uh, I mean, I just, I, I, I kind of just, uh, think about it like the tortoise and the hare, you know, like, yeah. So, so what your, my, my kid is not going to be the best baseball player because I'm not paying for sports specific preparation above and beyond his, his season. Um, but at some point in the future, like he's going to motor past you because he can throw harder. He can, he's got better bat speed. You know, the, the velocity is, is, is there like the hand eye coordination will be there. You can always make up fundamental and tactical easier than you can the base of athleticism. It's a much easier bridge to, 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 to gap. You can learn sports quickly. If you're a great athlete, it's really difficult to be, to learn how to be a great athlete. If you're, if you're good at sport. And Dave, I witness this every year. So lacrosse is not, it's not a youth sport here, at least here in Texas, yeah. uh, East coast for sure. But then we get kids that fall out of love with basketball. Yeah. They fall out of love with football or are not the size to compete at the, the varsity level. So then, the, yeah, I'll give this a shot because my buddies play. And then the athletes, yeah. they by by the end, by one year, then they're competitive. And then it's just this sense of their skill increases. And yep. then they're like, oh, shit, I'm good at this. And then you see the posture rise up and the confidence. And then the buy-in builds. Yep. But they're ath- because of their athleticism, 
they acquire the skill quicker than kids that have been playing for years. And then like we give them more opportunity because they can, and they know how to more sure. importantly compete. Yep. Yep. No, it's uh, I, I, I agree. So, so that's my, that's my, uh, that's my two cents. I mean, we'll see my, maybe my kids are going to be abject failures, but at least they're uh, at least there's some thought and some planning going into their, their long-term athleticism. Well, so. man, like, um, uh, so my son just got done, uh, done playing flag football and like, you know, six-year-old flag football, it's pretty interesting with kids that played when they were five, yeah. uh, you know, and my son was new to the team. So like, he doesn't really understand like sense of urgency. Like yeah. he's pretty fast and can run, but like the, you hand him the ball and he kind of like, doesn't understand that like, you, you know, you got to run as fast as you can. Whereas all the other kids like kind of understood it a little bit. And, uh, you know, and then uh, the kids that also have older brothers are, you know, move a little bit faster than those that don't. And so it was just kind of interesting to watch them out there and, uh, you know, also how focused the coaches were on yeah. winning. And I'm like, dude, like uh, I was supposed to assistant coach and I kind of bowed out because we just had different philosophy where I was like, hey, man, every kid should play and yeah. I think they should have fun. And yeah. the goal is to get them to come back next year. Whereas the other coach was more focused on, no, no, we have to win and teach these kid plays. And I'm like, how about fundamentals? No, nah, we don't get to work on that. So I took a step back, but pretty interesting to see even at this age. And I was trying to explain it to the dude. I'm like, hey, man, like um, all this is great, but like we want them to have fun because there's going to be a day maybe this isn't going to be fun. And uh, we want to try to get them there. And, uh, you know, and then the idea of like, dude, there's probably your son's ability at six years old is probably not a great indicator of his or his chance to go play in the NFL. I was like, I didn't even play football till I was 14 or 15 years old. So like you're telling me it's six that I mean, but what the fuck do I know? Yeah. Nope. Uh, it's, I have, I have similar, similar experiences, but yeah, I just kind of sit back and just let, 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 let the other uh, parents and coaches do what they do. And uh, you know, I think that uh, we're just going to continue to execute on our plan, see what happens. Yeah. But well, I the, mean, I definitely think um, I will take, uh, I mean, it's kind of a weird thought. There's just an idea of like early skill development. And, uh, I think like, you know, training universal as an athlete and being athletic, you know, people absorb skills quicker. So, yeah. I mean, you know, whereas, you know, but I mean, I'm sure there's other cases for people where it's like, you know what, I'm, I'm not a great athlete, but I can just throw the ball because I've been throwing the ball for years. But then what happens if you get injured? What happens if all of a sudden your arm strength doesn't develop? So I think there's like this early specialization that just seems to be plaguing everything. And if you talk to anybody that knows anything, they're like, dude, this is the worst thing you could do. But yet it seems to be, you know, you see 10 year old kids uh, when we were out at the uh, at the football field uh, for my son's uh, flag football. Uh, there was a, a, I'm pretty sure, former offensive line and his fat assistants out there putting a bunch of like 10 and 12 and 13, 14 year old kids through offensive line drills. Probably, you know, they're probably freshmen, sophomore in high school. There's a, you know, some ex-player, maybe, you know, college player has some development program and these parents pay into it. And I'm sitting out there watching and I'm like, dude, the only thing these coaches are teaching them is diabetes. Like, <laughs> like these dudes, uh, I'll send you the picture today. These dudes are like 400 pounds. And I'm like, they must be offensive linemen. You know, like uh, parents are like, these guys are huge. They must know what they're doing. And these kids uh-huh. are out there. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is so bad. Yeah. So the, the inverse uh, is also true uh, that for whatever reason, um, the parents that will push early specialization will, will always tell me, Hey, I don't want my kid lifting heavy. I don't want them. I don't want them to stunt their growth. I don't want them. I don't want, I don't want, 
I don't want, you know, uh, Ooh, clean squats. I don't know. Like you have a finite window to get strong, you know, like as when you, when you from 18 to whatever it is, 28, like you better use that decade to get really strong because once it passes you by, like how many old dudes, uh, do you know that are like struggling to, to clean squat bench, like just such pedestrian weights. And then, so once you, once that, once that leaves you, that, that time horizon leaves, it's really difficult to ever kind of build real strength. And if you don't have real strength, it's very difficult to stay fit as you get older. Yeah, no, we've seen people come into weightlifting in their late thirties, early forties, you know, and we'll see them today. I mean, they, you know, uh, you know, 225 back squats considered a, you know, Hey, I'm, you know, fighting my way to 225. And all of a sudden when I get to 240, I end up getting hurt and I have problems. I'm like, you know, I mean, these are weights that we handled when we were 12 and 13, 14 years old. Yeah. I'm 45. Uh, I squatted 440 the other day, you know, past the grass. I feel healthy. I still clean, you know, 330, like, you know, and, and this is all, you know, I, 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 I don't have a problem with guys my age doing testosterone replacement therapy, but it's not something that I do because I don't want to continue to to do it uh, into my my old age. I don't know where you get off that train. So for me, like if you don't have a foundation of strength, like it's impossible to stay fit and healthy. Um, not impossible, very difficult yeah. to stay fit and healthy as you get older. So. Um, so the, the lessons that we learn as kids, you know, and the, and the system that we put in play as kids, you know, that it affects you when you're 40, 50, 60. What do you think about that Tex? I agree. <laughs> I'm looking forward to being 60. So I can be like, yeah, man, I live, I'm still strong relatively. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. What to say. <laughs> I, I, I always go back to like, what does 60 look like? Fucking shorter shorts tucked in shirt (laughs) fucking belt just just uh uh, i'm still coaching you know uh showing up are you gonna lose your filter (laughs) (laughs) what oh you mean lose what what like my uh uh, uh, verbal filter yeah we're just like fuck you ah you know what like my mom's 80 uh 82 and my mom has zero filter to the point where I'm like, dude, it's best if you don't go out of the house. You just fucking offend people. But I think like, uh, you know, I mean, it, what kind of blows my mind is um, uh, like age is not the same as it is now. Like I remember uh, my grandparents when we were kids were like they had white hair and more polyester and drove like fucking Buicks and like looked like they were 100 years old. And when I did the math in my head, I'm like, they were only in their like early 50s, late 60s. Yeah. And now you see Tom Cruise, who's like in his 60s, and the dude, that's what you I know, was fucking flying jet fighters. So, I mean, it's pretty interesting. Like, uh, I saw a deal that Wolford Brimley was like when they made Cocoon, uh, Cocoon was like in his 50s. Yeah. So, like, there's, I mean, the Golden Girls were only in their like late 50s, early 60s, and they were retired and old. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty interesting. Like, our perception of age has dramatically changed. Where, like, you know, a dude in his 50s who, you know, would have been put out to pasture still pretty, pretty virile and pretty young. And I think it's because of the training space. Oh, I think that's a hundred. That's the only fountain of youth that really exists is, you know, being able to stay fit. Uh, you know, it's understand. the only, it's the only hack. Like, uh, like whenever people talk about these, these performance hacks in this, I'm like staying strong and lifting weights is by far an exercise is the only performance hack there is on the world. Uh, dude. I mean, I, I, I've distilled my stuff down to just this concept of never do nothing. So like every week, you know, I lift, 
I lift heavy things a, a couple times a week. I get my 10,000 steps in a day and I, I, I assign what's called the minimum effective dose of conditioning. So I'll do like six to 10 minute uh, conditioning bouts where my heart rate, you know, gets between, you know, 140 and 150 beats per minute on average across the, 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 the domain. And I feel great. I mean, like my nutrition is, 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 uh, is pretty disciplined with respect to like, I hit my protein goals. I don't, I don't, I don't need, uh, to overdo the fat. And then my carbohydrate choices are, are for the most part, you know, just what occurs naturally, uh, or I could find in nature in some way, tubers or, and fruits and vegetables. Um, but keeping it that freaking simple, uh, and then once you, once you knock that, knock out all that, then you can start to get sexy with some of the supplementation. I mean, the heat, heat therapy, cold, cold, cold water immersion, that kind of stuff. Uh, but if most people just did those few things, lift heavy weights a couple times a week, walk 10,000 steps a day, uh, get some decent sleep and, uh, and just do a little bit of conditioning to get your heart rate up, the world would be a much better place. Yeah, don't like an asshole. The only kind of, yeah, that's it. which, which I totally did on that bike trip. Yeah. You can it's eat not, like an asshole. It's, one. it's not as if I didn't, uh, but I'll tell you this. It's not as if I ate bad food because what's good is, uh, if I stick to the gluten-free thing, it pretty much helps you avoid anything fucked up. Like when I'm like, Oh, like we went to some cake and pastry place. I'm like, you got anything gluten-free? And they're like, no, I'm like, I guess I'm drinking coffee. then. So like, I think like just staying the gluten-free thing helps me avoid a lot of shit. Like, uh, Oh, you know, they got a bunch of desserts. I'm like, hey, those gluten-free, well, I guess I don't get them. Uh, I think so like that kind of helps. Um, and even though gluten and all this stuff is delicious, what's that? You're gluten free. I mean, you pretty much knock out a lot of the processed. Yeah. It, it, it just kind of solves all the problems for you. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's, uh, for me, the, the, the gluten bomb is kind of hit or miss. Like I can like get gluten bombed or I can have something and nothing will happen. And then other times it'll happen and fucking dude, it, it'll like shut me down. So it's just easier if I just avoid it. And, uh, you know, especially like on a trip with like a whole bunch of people with cameras and stuff. I'm like, dude, the last thing I need to do is get gluten bombed riding a motorcycle. Cause I, it, it kind of puts me into a coma and makes me real tired. Yeah. And, uh, then I got to go to the bathroom a bunch. So I'm like, nope, not doing it. And sleep uh, on the side of the road in Ireland. <sighs> yeah. That was a bad was one. That, was that, was that, <laughs> that wasn't always an aversion for you though. Were you always, uh, yeah. Um, dude, uh, since I was a kid, this is wild. So my dad had this idea that you had to, have a big bowl of cereal, like uh, heart healthy grains every morning and, uh, and nonfat milk. So he would pour us this like massive bowl of like frosted mini wheats, grape nuts, like whatever it was. And then all this nonfat milk. And I remember waking up in the morning and being like pretty excited to go to school, pretty energized. I would eat and then like go into this like glucose gluten coma till second period to the point yeah. where I would fall asleep in first and second period. And like, I'd get like written up sent yeah. to the principal's office, get yelled at for sleeping. And I remember my mom's like, why do you keep falling asleep? You're not getting plenty of sleep. I'm like, mom, I feel great when I wake up. As soon as I get to school, I'm so tired. And um, it's uh, years later when I got my blood work, they're like, uh, dude, you're really allergic to like uh, to gluten. And, uh, you know, you have this big allergy. And I'm like, well, like what would it cause? And they were like, uh, uncontrollable, you know, diarrhea, like uh, uh, really tired. Like, do you find yourself after you eat a bunch of like carbs or like a gluten something, you feel like you're going to fall asleep? And I'm like, Oh my God, every fucking day of my life, first and second period, uh, as I, as all I went to school. So as soon as I cut it out, I was fine. And I just remember thinking like my dad gluten bombed me every single day. 
And um, so, yeah, I just, (laughs) oh yeah, but it's so good. Uh, But it, uh, so yeah, I mean, this was when Dr. Tom tested me in like 99 or 2000. So, I mean, at that point, like, you know, here were the foods I was reactive for and I just didn't eat it. And so I I haven't eaten, I mean, on occasion we'll eat something, but for the most part, like 99% of my day. So it's just saved me probably a lot of stuff. I'm like, oh, that pizza looks really good. Do you have a gluten-free one? No. Okay. I guess I'm not getting that. I'll get the steak salad. So uh, it's helped me in a lot of ways because uh, on that trip, dude, dude, I'm, I'm not kidding you. These hipsters know how to eat. Like they fucking know these little hole in the wall places. Maybe that's part of like the hipster code. You know, you get a funny hat, some cool tattoos and like a curly cute mustache. And next thing you know, you know, fucking hole in the wall places to eat. But yeah, uh, yeah the gluten-free thing saved me a bunch. Yeah, they know facial hair and uh, and and places to eat, huh? And 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 uh, and probably micro brews. Yeah, a lot of IPAs, and then uh, a whole collection of like flash shitty tattoos. Oh yeah, you're, you're, you're like, oh, is that a pirate ship and a compass? Okay, yeah, okay, you're a hipster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have a pirate ship and a compass. You know, like, oh fuck, these are hipster tattoos <laughs> on your hand. Uh, yeah, on yeah. your hands in your neck. I got a pirate ship on my neck and, and compasses on my hands. You know what that spells? You're not ever getting a real fucking job. So you got to open your own coffee yeah. shop. Yeah, you got to open your own shit. Like you got to be a chef or barista or something or trade Bitcoin, which isn't going for people very well right now. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, uh, yeah. What do you what do you, what do you think? Like the, the world's going to to uh, hell here on the uh, uh, yeah. No, the uh, the cryptocurrency is super fascinating, uh, especially like the fact that that Luna coin hemorrhaged like 97 percent of its value in like 24 hours. It was like 30 bucks. Was it on uh, like the other morning at like 8.15 and then the next morning at 7.30, it was $1.93. I mean. I can't tell you how every, every kid, that's what, the, that's their first investment though. Like, yeah. like, yep, I got my, I got my crypto wallet going. Like, yeah. uh, not okay. anymore. You don't. Well, what's, what's funny is uh, what I do now is like when my daughters get money, um, I basically take the money and I'll put it in their little crypto wallet and mm-hmm. I let them buy stupid things. Like they bought Shiba and they've bought like Doge and all this stupid stuff. And so they're like a hundred bucks and, and, uh, but no, thank God I didn't know any Luna and no Bitcoin. I was like, dude, don't get anything. Just get something like stupid. Like you put like 10 bucks into something that's like 0.0001 and yeah. they, you know, they get a whole bunch of coins. I'm like, I don't know. Hold on to it. You might forget about it 20 years from now. Who knows? It might be worth something. It might be worth nothing. Yep. They might, might have uh, crypto kitties. So they bought, they bought kitties, uh, that are little NFTs and they get to, you know, whatever breed them and you know end up being unique kitties Give, gives them some sort of framework yeah. for how the the whole crypto space works just a basic understanding of blockchain but well the uh the reason we were doing it was i was trying to get them on the conversions and i'm like okay so you have one us dollar how many of these can you buy <laughs> and so then they were like well i have all these i'm like well what can i do with them i'm like well at some point somebody might be able to trade them for goods yeah. like if uh you know, uh, like if you use Bitcoin, you can buy, let's say a Tesla, but you know, you're going to have to have some conversion and there's going to be something, you know? And so I was trying to explain it to them and I was like, let's just get some. So they yeah. had like a hundred bucks and I was like, just let them go through and pick these coins. And, uh, I, it just makes me like, it's kind of a little interesting. The fact that that Luna, which is considered a stable coin is able to hemorrhage its value. And what's crazy is about three weeks ago, there was, um, um, you know, like I, I basically get like an investor thing, like every day that kind of lets me know what's going on in the crypto stuff. And, uh, they were talking about this thing was going to go to a hundred bucks. So people were going in big. And the only thing I'm thinking is like, this has got to be a Ponzi scheme. Somebody's got to be running a short, like this is unregulated fucking markets and stocks. And, uh, 
you know, and then the interesting thing in the Bitcoin market, like a hundred dudes own 90% of all the Bitcoin and they just basically trade and manipulate this currency. And it's like, fucking. they, they said that it was 40% of the Bitcoin market was new over 45,000. Wow. So, so 40% of the new Bitcoin market has come in over 45 K and now it hit 26 today. So it's so pretty, about. yeah, unless it keeps going down. You know, no. I mean, these guys are all by the dip. I mean, I, I, I and, and what's also fascinating to me with the crypto stuff is the amount of Instagram kind of like support pages for crypto that yeah. are that they're using to try to drive the market with like these like uh, memes and, and just these like different like uh, pages that are dedicated to it. And I know they're probably all owned by three different people that are using it to like fucking influence the market. Yeah. Hipsters. Well, I mean, it, it's it's an unregulated securities market. Can you imagine if like there was no regulation on stocks and bonds? I mean, it's the same oh. thing. I mean, yeah. it's a fucking wild west. Yep, driving without traffic lights. Yeah. So, yeah, I uh, I feel bad for anybody that put their fucking life savings into crypto. Yeah. Well, I mean, unless you bought Bitcoin at four hundred, and then you're always going to be right. So, I mean, even if it hemorrhages, you're still fine on it. And I, I have friends that bought it at like a thousand bucks, five hundred bucks. You know, bought it cheap, so they're like, I don't give a shit what it does. Yeah. Well, all right. We've covered a range of topics. Yeah. I, I do have one final note, Dave. And yes. this, this dates back to 2017. I took a little trip out to Cal following a seminar mm. and never wasting a trivial opportunity to connect with the coach. You took the time to sit down with me and explain uh, athlete development and the pyramid. And I was throwing all these questions at you because I attended a speed clinic. And you gave me a great piece of advice that I still hand down to any coaches that I work with that are younger in the space. And like I was taken from Dan Paff and all these questions for you. And then you were reverting back to, okay, well, who does he coach? It was track athletes. And so then every question that I asked, you're like, okay, where'd you learn it? Who do they work with? And then you instilled like every coach, you need a filter. So at that point, we were just getting into this uh, idea and articulating the athletic development model and athleticism at power athlete. So then that, that became the filter. Okay. Well, what, what information is any kid, you know, younger coach bringing to me? Well, where's it coming from? What are they training for? All right. Well, is it going to make them better at their sport X, Y, Z? So aim to still instill that message to younger coaches that are bringing different questions or, you know, cool, cool things that they're trying in their training. Well, let's reverse engineer this. And what's the bigger picture? What's the goal? Uh, so I want to highlight that and just say, thanks, man. Still, still riding that wave and appreciate that filter. And hopefully you mentioned, hopefully getting old, and not losing your filter. I hope to not lose that one. So just want to say thank you. Hey, my, my pleasure. It was fun having you guys here. And it's, it's been awesome. This, uh, the power athlete Cal strike relationship has just, uh, lasted for a long time. And I'm just grateful for, for you guys and, uh, putting out good content and, and actual like, uh, thoughtful messaging around, uh, strength and conditioning and, and, and athletic development. I mean, you guys are authentic in the space, which is not exactly, uh, what I would consider to be the norm nowadays on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> funny funny uh, funny statement you make you know so uh it actually helps to have some qualifications and actually work with some people on the internet these days 
more so than just a fancy inter, uh, Instagram page. Yeah. But it's, uh, I mean, nowadays, like I value my friend group way more than I ever did before. Like there's, there's a, there's a couple of, uh, of, of, of guys that have been doing this a long time that I'm like, you know, not, not letting this person go. So anyway, I appreciate you. I appreciate you too, man. It's always good. And, uh, dude, I was stoked to come out and see your new facility, dude. That was awesome. It's always neat to come out and see and be like, Oh, I see we're going in the big time. So it's, uh, it's cool to see you guys grow and the, and the good things you're doing. <laughs> I mean, shit, dude. I, I left there and was like, "Holy shit!" If they, were, if if I lived anywhere near here, I would have a membership at this place. Hey, it's uh, it's pretty nice. So if you're in Los Gatos, take a look. The club, LG, and Cal Strength. Um, love to show you around, get a workout in. Cool, for sure. Awesome. Well, dude, thanks for uh, coming on Cal uh, on Power Athlete Radio for yeah. third time, and- second time. Nobody knows. No. Well, all I know is you're one, Not of, the, enough. one of our most illustrious alum. So thanks for uh, taking the time. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> Take care, guys. See you. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can follow Coach Dave Spitz and learn all about Cal Strength at Cal underscore strength on Instagram. Until next time, bye. Bye.